Hello. I'm delighted to be joined today by Rebecca Wardell, an Olympic heptathlete who has undertaken the most audacious journey to cycle from Lausanne to her native New Zealand, which is 20,000 kilometers. We're going to talk about the journey, the idea of setting goals, managing your mindset, and resilience in the face of unbelievable challenges. Rebecca, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks, Heather, for having me. It's great to be here. Can you tell us something about how this journey came about? So it was really just a, a group of friends and I, so um, Sarah and Emma, who are all for, also from New Zealand. We were all working together at the International Olympic Committee in, here in Lausanne, and we used to go out on bike rides on the weekend, just as you do in, in the Swiss countryside. And somehow a, a discussion started about, hey, how about we cycle back to New Zealand or wouldn't it be amazing to to do a long bike trip like this? Started just as a general chat, but somehow this idea kind of gained momentum and before you knew it, we, we were all quitting our jobs at the IOC and, and packing our bags and starting off on an adventure that actually, none of us had ever done anything like it before. So yeah, it just started as a, a very small seed of an idea um, in a very casual situation and quickly, quickly took legs. That's a very small seed mm. of an enormous journey. How do you go from having this small seed of an idea to a journey that I understand took you over 20,000 kilometres? Tell us a little bit about that process, if you will. I think the three of us naturally, uh, Emma being a gold medalist in, in single skulls and rowing at the Tokyo Olympic Games and Sarah being a very high level athlete herself, myself also having competed at the Olympic Games, all three of us were always up for a challenge. And I think when you get three women together who are up for a challenge and wanting to push themselves, you, you're naturally creating an environment where, where things like this can quickly take off. I think key to this though was was talking about it with with family and friends many of whom thought we were crazy but right, I can people, understand that <laughs> yeah a lot of people were like hey wow that's so cool what a great idea and I think once you've spoken something out loud to other people it's very hard to kind of take it back you kind of you've almost like you've committed or have a sense of responsibility to carry something through once you've once you've spoken those words out loud so that's how it took off initially is, is it just a personal adventure for the three of us. Um, but then we realized very quickly that it was a great opportunity for us to make it bigger than just us, um, to add some social elements. So we decided to use our network in the Olympic movement. So every country has a National Olympic Committee. With the help of our colleagues at the IOC, we connected with the National Olympic Committee of each country that we would cycle through. Um, so automatically we had a contact, which was great. I kept my mum uh, sane. But we decided that we would uh, connect with school children in every country that we cycled through to inspire, tell a story, speak about the Olympic movement, speak about geography, culture, and really kind of open their eyes to also connect with Olympic athletes in each of the countries we, we cycled through. So to understand more about their training, their up upbringing, how they became Olympians, um, their role in their communities. Um, and we would bring the local Olympian to the school visit with us to really bring that kind of connection. And then the third element was we chose a, a charity in New Zealand that uh, aims to empower young women, so teenage girls, to, to really be leaders in their communities through sport, so to give them opportunities to, to really grow and, and find confidence. Um, and we set a target of raising $1 per kilometre and, and ended up raising 
in excess of $27,000 New Zealand dollars. So it started as a small seed of three girls just wanting to have an adventure and a good time and very quickly grew into this this really big project which had a a lot of meaning and purpose behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I hear you say is the moving from that seed of amongst an idea amongst friends to actually really becoming something much more purposeful to help to keep young girls motivated to stay in sport, mm-hmm. to develop their, their abilities through sport. In some ways, using yourselves as role models on as women athletes who have reached um, really high levels. Yeah. And growing from that small seed of an idea between you three, what, I, what I'm hearing is that you use the power of conversation and networks within your community and within the International Olympic Committee world to actually federate this idea and grow it to a purpose that was much more than the three of you um, on, on, on a cycle ride. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay. And um, tell us something about some of the challenges that you um, encountered along, along the way. So it, it's funny, when I look back now, I kind of it's easy to gloss over the challenges because you kind of just see the journey and people see the the nice images and and things like this. But there were some there were some really really dark moments. Mm-hmm. Um, even right from the first day when we cycled from from Lausanne to to Brig, um, initially we hadn't planned on going to Brig. It's 160 kilometers from Lausanne, but we were all excited and we had a tailwind and we're like, oh, this is great. Let's just keep going. But um, very quickly, just as we passed Sion, uh, we turned into a massive headwind. We were riding bikes that were 42 kilograms, which none of us had ever ridden before. And very quickly, I was I was like, what am I doing? This is day one, and it's going to be tough like this. The, you know, these tough moments are going to con- continue on. But having that support, the, the, the two girls with me, Emma and Sarah, um, and also the, the, the incredible support that we'd had when we left Lausanne, Focusing on that and, and thinking back to all these people who are behind us who'd just given us a great send-off um, really just just gave us that that really good feeling that okay, it's okay. It's you know, it's day one, things are gonna be a bit tricky, but we just need to to keep our heads up and, and really focus on the on the, the good parts of the of the journey. And what happened next? After you realised the bikes were heavy, they're forty two kilos, you'd done hundred and sixty kilometers on day one. And your your mind is saying, "What am I doing? What what happened next for you to continue?" I mean, for me, a lot of it was was about. I had to kind of focus on the on the positives of of the journey. I had to focus on uh, the the school kids that we were going to be meeting, the the money that we were raising for the for the charity. Um, for the for the Olympic athletes that we were going to visit, and I really wanted, especially for the schools in New Zealand where I had a real connection, was to be able to go into those situations and really tell a story of of resilience, of perseverance, of you know things got tough, but we survived and 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 made it through to the end. And I I I, I focused a lot on that in those tough moments. Was like, okay, this is bad. But it will end. the The mud will will go away. The snow will stop. the The ice will melt. The headwind will turn into a tailwind. All of these horrendous conditions that we that we rode through. Um, for me, it was really to focus on those those moments where we could inspire others. Um, the, the the bigger purpose of of the journey and and try to really 
focus on those things to to get us through the tough moments and and be able to stand in front of these people with a sense of pride and achievement um, and really tell an incredible story. And what was important for you about inspiring those those girls and those children through this story? What was what was the importance of that? I think for me personally, growing up, I'd been inspired by um, Olympic athletes, adventurers, um, people who'd gone gone out and done something that was out of their comfort zone, out of the box, um, something where they'd they'd really challenged themselves and and either succeeded or failed. Mm-hmm. I think in both instances. It's an incredible story and it's about the journey, whether someone wins an Olympic gold medal or doesn't quite make the team, they still have these these incredible stories. Um, and I wanted to be able to maybe give back, is, is a good way of putting it, give back to the younger generation and, and sort of give some of these kids that we were going to visit a little glimmer of, you know, ah, oh, maybe if I can do this or that, I can I can achieve something or just to show them that, the impossible is possible sometimes, um, but if, if if you don't quite achieve the goal that you set to, you can have an, an incredible um, experience and journey along the way, and ultimately grow um, and become stronger as a person. I guess is the is the number one takeaway. Yeah. So what you're saying really epitomizes this idea of the growth mindset that we we hear um, talked about so much in society today. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a concept that, of course, is being used quite significantly in schools to encourage both teachers and children to recognize that learning isn't fixed and our talents and abilities aren't fixed um, when we're born and that our, our achievements are the sum of those, those fixed um abilities that we have. Yeah. And yet many, many people do grow up with this mindset that actually we have a, a quotient of intelligence, a quotient of abilities in particular areas. And and I think what you're 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 talking about really epitomizes this idea of of the growth mindset mm-hmm. that we can we can challenge ourselves to to go beyond, exactly. to embrace difficulties and to grow through through that experience. Yeah. And I think what was crucial for us too in these and these messages with the people we met along the way, the children in particular, was not to say you have to go and cycle across the world. I mean, we were very privileged to be in a position to be able to do something like that. It's that in your own world, in your own context, you can push yourself, you can you can learn from from your mistakes, you can set goals and achieve them or, or fail and still get something out of it. We were very careful to not pass on a message that you have to be doing something absolutely crazy it's um i think you can build resilience and and perseverance in in a vast array of different ways yeah absolutely i think i think that's a really important point because of course not everybody is going to be crazy enough to want to cycle 20,000 kilometers across the world yeah. but there is this wonderful idea of setting a really audacious challenge and then and then even if we feel perhaps ill-equipped or unready to be able to take it on to find that inner strength to to embrace the challenge and and continue exactly. journey. And I think um, for us in particular, the the goal setting process was incredible and and was also very applicable to anyone who was sort of following us. You know, we set the big goal. Okay, we cycle from Lausanne to to New Zealand. Um, but for uh, for me in particular and, and the and the girls as well to manage that mentally, it, it, it was very tough to sort of think, oh my gosh, I've got to cycle twenty thousand kilometres. That's just your brain kind of doesn't compute it. But if we you know we thought, oh, 
five more kilometers and we get to have a coffee, you know, right. 30 more kilometers and it's lunchtime. One more week of this and we have a rest day. Um, four more weeks and we're in a new country. You know, just those very, very small chunks that are manageable in your head. Before you know it, you've done a thousand kilometers. Before you know it, you've done ten thousand, and then it kind of and it kind of continues. And especially when things were really tough, when the conditions were awful, you know, saying okay, every two kilometers we're going to stop and have a Snickers bar. <laughs> it just before you know it, it had sort of it had passed. And I think passing on those goal setting messages to to other people who we met was was an incredible part of the journey as well. I think it's a, a beautiful. Um, message also for those of us in leadership roles because often the path forward seems long mm -hmm. and uncertain and unknown and yet how do we how do we make progress into the unknown and I'm hearing you talking about plans mm -hmm. um, and and then small steps along the way to be able to reach reach the goal of 20,000 kilometers yeah. so there's a sense of kind of having a, a plan but also pathfinding along the way totally and then flexibility Heather was key I mean we it would have been very easy to sit in Lausanne and literally draw on a map where right. we wanted to go but I mean that was we knew that you know this road might be closed or some a, a local person might suggest this is a better route or this kind of stuff we had we had um, fixed points in terms of visas that we had to, you know, be out of a country by a certain time due to visas. But apart from that, we we knew that we had to be flexible according to conditions, weather conditions, road conditions. And I think this is applicable in any project. If you're very fixed, you can get into trouble because I was going to go down that road. Right. And now it's closed. Oh, what do I do? Whereas if you have a bit of a flexible mindset, it's like, okay, no problem. We'll, go, we'll just take road B, for example. So, yeah, it was it was being able to be flexible, which... For myself, I, I struggled a little bit with because from my athlete days in track and field, heptathlon, things were very fixed. Things right. were, it's a much more structured kind of um, environment, uh, high performance, you know, down to the minuscule, what am I eating today? When am I sleeping? When am I having a massage, physio, training? Th things were very, very structured. Um, so for me, I had to let go a little bit of that um, in order to, to sort of cope, I guess, on a, on a journey like this. So the idea of, of actually having to let go of a certain amount of um, fixed view of what would happen. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm hearing you talking about carrying that discipline with you that perhaps you built during your, your days as an athlete to, to, have, to have the discipline to be able to make those steps of progress, even when you may not have felt like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially when I was an athlete, you know, coping with injury and and these kind of things, trying to, to overcome this, to, to realize that there were ways around injury, there were different ways that we could train, it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the journey, so to speak. A lot of the, the learnings from my kind of athlete career around resilience, perseverance, um, goal setting were, were, were crucial, I think, in, in achieving a, 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 tri a trip like the bike ride that we did. Yeah, so let, let me go back a moment to going from the seed to the journey. Mm -hmm. Take us through a little bit how you, how you went through some of the planning mm -hmm. for, from idea germination <laughs> to setting off on your bike. What, what were some of the steps that happened? What were some of the things that you, you feel are really important to setting yourselves up for success? Yeah, well, I mean, number one was to build a, a, a team around us to support us. Um, me alone, I never would have taken off on a trip like this mm -hmm. on my own. 
as soon as Sarah and Emma were like, we're in, I think, you know, to have two friends who you trust with your life to, to, you know, jump on a bike and do something crazy like this with was just, was unreal. And when, and when they agreed, I mean, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity that you couldn't put down. But having said that, us three needed a, a whole wider group of people around us. We had our colleagues at work who were setting up the meetings with the National Olympic Committees. We had, had our friends and family who were helping us with, you know, setting up connections with trying to get sponsorship in terms of clothing or bikes and things. Um, we relied he very heavily on um, networks of uh, cycle tourists who'd done similar trips to get advice on what do we pack, you know, what's a good route, this kind of thing. There were lots of amazing communities online that we that we joined. So it was a whole army of people who were who were behind us on, on part on that journey. And and really, when when the moments were tough, it was that army who was sort of pushing us along through the headwinds and, and that kind of thing. And it was it was an incredible sense to know that you had this really great support behind us. So it's very different from the image I might have in my mind of a woman on a bike going across um, the middle of, of uh, Central Asia to, to New Zealand, to thinking of that whole support system and how important that was for you along, along the way. Yeah. And even um, Heather, not just the support system that we set up from the start, but along the way, the, the people that we met, um, we relied very heavily on, on strangers for support. And actually one of the key takeaways for me from the journey was the incredible kindness of strangers. The, the doors that opened and the people that helped us out were just absolutely phenomenal. Um, in the most backwards parts of Tajikistan, we had, you know, people running out of their yurts or, or running off the, off the fields they were working and inviting us into their homes for, for tea, coffee, stay the night. And these people had nothing like their subsistence farmers and, and the generosity and, and kindness of spirit from, from these kind of people just blew us away and made the whole journey so much more rich and rewarding. But also they saved us a lot from sort of camping in dire conditions and things. So it was a network of people who we knew, who knew us, but also an incredible network of people literally the whole way around, along the journey who, who held us up. So the network of those who were known to us and the network of those that were waiting to, to know. Yeah. Can you give an example of, of um, the kindness of strangers along the journey that particularly touched you? Yeah, we had one, one night we had a... We, in Tajikistan and we'd just climbed the highest pass of the trip, so 4,600 metres, so sort of the height of Mont Blanc, super tired, freezing cold, um, exhausted from, from climbing. Uh, and we were thinking we were going to have to camp because on the map we couldn't see, there was no towns or anything. Um, cycling along, starting to get dark, and we came across, in the distance you could see a, a yurt on the side of the road. And as we approached it, this woman came running out and she was absolutely fantastic. She insisted on us coming inside. Um, she was amazing. She, it was literally, the yurt was just a one room with a small kind of pot belly stove in it where her and her husband were, they, they lived there. That was their, that was their life. There was a couple of yaks tied outside and she took great pleasure in sort of cooking us instant noodles. And, um, of course she doesn't speak English. We didn't speak the local language, um, but through common things, we had a couple of photos of family you could show. This is my mum, this is my dad. Through sign language and, and a little bit of kind of body language, you could somehow have a conversation. She went outside and milked the yaks and bought inside this sort of steaming pail of hot yaks milk and added some sort of oil and bread and 
stirred it up and gave it to us. And we'd become by then quite good at sort of being polite at, at trying to eat a little bit and then leaving the left beside. But just it really struck me that she was helping us. I mean, she was. we were in a nice, cosy kind of away from the elements. She was feeding us. In accepting her offer of help, we were helping her. Like she just had, you could see the joy she was getting from from being of assistance, from hosting us. And I think for me personally, that was a, a really strong takeaway and something, you know, I would never, if I saw a cyclist here on my street in Lausanne, I would never run out and be like, hey, do you want to come inside and, and let me feed you? I just, these people have so much to offer in the way that they operate, the way they're so generous and, and has, has hospitable. It really opened my eyes to, I think, how we can maybe be a little bit more like that. Or, yeah, it was it was mind blowing, and and that was not an isolated incident. This continued in almost every country. So the kindness of strangers, and what I'm also hearing is the ability to communicate even without words. Exactly. So the, the ability to communicate the emotion, the yeah the connection um, when when there's a desire to do so. And of course, when, when with the world being so polarized in many areas in, in terms of when we do use words, mm -hmm. this is a wonderful reminder of, of how when we speak with the heart, we actually really are able to connect with, with people. Yeah, exactly. And obviously we traveled through so many different countries, so many different cultures, but there's a common thread through all these cultures that everyone understands. And I think, you know, family, um, food, shelter, you know, the basic needs of, 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 of all humans. And that's something that I've actually taken away with me now into my personal life, into my work life, because obviously at the IOC we work a lot with, with different cultures, um, with the different organising committees. There's a lot of different cultures within the organisation itself. And just you can really quickly form bonds with people from completely different cultures by chatting about the, the commonalities um, and really... It's it's amazing the the richness you can get out of it because it's it's kind of easy to be a little bit dismissive of people who you don't understand who are very different from you. You kind of think, oh, they don't have much to offer, or I can't be bothered. But uh, it's amazing once you kind of get over that and dig in. You can just, I mean, you can have friends for life uh, from people who have grown up in completely different ways, um, and it was just just incredible. Yes, it really highlights when we think about diversity, equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. We talk about that a lot in, in organisations, of course, mm -hmm. today. And it seems like the, the, the main focus was on not on seeing the differences, but about seeing the commonalities of, of, of humanity totally. and connecting on, on that level. Yeah. And for us too, being very conscious of our kind of bias that had come from the way we'd, we'd grown up um, in the sort of western focus western media that we we absorb and consume every day and then to you know to travel through countries like iran which is you know not or some of the stands which are not painted in the best light in some of our, our western media and then to be in the, their cultures and their communities and them to sort of say you know please tell everyone that iran's great you know tell your friends tell your family and these people were the most kind and generous you know we had an accident in iran so both Sarah and I fell off our bikes and were injured. I ended up with stitches in my knee. She ended up with a sprained sprained ankle and knee. And we ended up having two weeks basically rest, resting and recuperating. These guys were paying for our medical bills, driving us to physio, feeding Goodness. us. And the experience that we had in Iran in particular was could, the polar opposite from what you see on a daily basis. And even, you know, friends and family are... Do you think it's safe? I don't know if you maybe you shouldn't go through Iran, all this kind of stuff. So just 
just that eye-opening and, and giving them the opportunity to show who they are as a culture and people was, was something that I'll, I think I'll value for the rest of my life. It's a beautiful story about how the mental images we have in our head, whether mm -hmm. they be from the media or from our own upbringing or our own biases, can be quite distorted in terms of the reality of the people that we meet in the world. Yeah, and I think just having a conscious sort of thought that to kind of try and look past that and see the person for who they are, and again, going back to those commonalities, I think, yeah, we can, we can learn a lot. Was there any time and occasion where you felt fearful for your own safety. I could imagine that in over a year and 20,000 kilometers, there may have been one or two occasions. There were one or two. Um, we, kept them, we kept them pretty quiet, um, mainly for our, our mother's sake, so that they weren't too worried. But no, I mean, a lot of the, the fears for safety were around the road itself, you know, big trucks, dangerous conditions to cycle in. Um, this kind of stuff. We also, um, just before we, two weeks before we arrived in Tajikistan, there'd been a, a terrorist incident where a group of cyclists had been murdered. The same as us, literally cycle tourists, I think they were uh, Dutch, Swiss and American in a little group. I mean, it easily could have been us. They were going down a path or a road that we'd initially chosen to to do. There was a bit of soul searching at that point in the trip because we were in Uzbekistan at the time and Tajikistan was our next country. Do we continue? Do we change our plans? Do we, you know, go into a, into a different country? In the end, we decided that Tajikistan was one of the going to be one of the highlights of the trip. We'd heard so much, so many good things about it. We changed our route. We didn't go down that, but but we we kind of had the thought that you know if if we don't go to Tajikistan, then the terrorists have kind of won. You know, they've mm. they've got the upper hand. Whereas maybe we were silly in hindsight, um, but we decided to to go on through. Given that, we still had a little bit of, you know, every time a car was sort of coming up a bit close behind or you sort of had that, oh, you know, is this safe? What are we doing? But as as per the story of the woman in the yurt, um, we experienced the complete opposite from from the, the people in Tajikistan. It was warmth, friend, friendship, generosity, um, just this this incredible country. And it actually ended up being the, the, my favourite country of the, of the whole journey. Gosh. Yeah. That's an inspiring story. Yeah. And actually, if we think about that in, in relation to resilience, one of the key components of resilience, of course, is self-regulation, how mm -hmm. we manage ourselves, perhaps under stress, how we mm -hmm. manage to, to reframe a situation. How did you do that? How did you really shift your mind from focusing on the fear of potentially what might happen and what had recently happened to focusing on moving forward in the way you did? Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of support from from family and friends. Again, they were they were crucial to sort of you know it's it's okay. You guys are going to be okay. And the local people helped us to kind of really feel safe and and comfortable. And for us, it was just to kind of tap into that. You know, it, it'd be very easy to sort of focus on the negative, the fear, and instead we tried to really tap into the the positive. Um, aspects of the journey. Maybe just to highlight that we, we, I don't think we were being reckless. We were always very cautious and, and made a very calculated decision, mm. I think. I think there's a difference between resilience and, and recklessness. Yes, um, good point. Throughout the whole trip, we, we made sure that we tried to walk on the side, on the, on the other side of that line. Um, for example, everyone had told us that cycling into Istanbul was really dangerous. So instead of being like, no, no, we're going to cycle the whole way, we're like, okay, thank you for the advice, we'll, we'll take a, a ferry in. Mm -hmm. um, so there was just, you know, some, some 
elements like that where you have to take people's advice, not be so stubborn, and then just enjoy the experience of being on a ferry, you know, just enjoy that that positive positive aspect of it. A moment of tourism. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Sit back and watch the world go by. I've heard resilience um, described as something from which typically we bounce back from. So it's the idea that maybe something sets us back and then we're able to to bounce back and and recover. I've also heard it um, described as the ability to bounce forward, so to to project ourselves forward from a particularly difficult situation. Mm -hmm. I think the, the way I like to think of it the most is the ability to bounce with the changes that are coming our way. And it, this is a lovely example of bouncing with some of those changes that came your way rather than resisting them too much or um, exactly. ignoring them. Yeah, and actually the nature of the ride itself, when the going got tough, moving forward was the way out of it. If it was snowing, if you stopped and just stood on the side of the road, well, you're just going to get soaked and freezing cold. Whereas you, if you keep moving, eventually it got better, you found somewhere to shelter or, or the snow stopped. Um, and I think this was really hard. You know, there were some mornings where you just didn't want to get out of bed. If you found a nice, cosy place to sleep and it was snowing outside, you didn't want to jump on your bike, but you just knew that you just had to keep, we just had to keep moving. Um, obviously, we had the pressure of, you know, visas and a few time restrictions like that. But the longer you just sort of stay in bed and be cozy and comforting you eventually you have to get out there so we were just like we were just might as well rip the band-aid off and 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 keep moving and by keeping moving it gave us the energy it gave us the sense that we were doing something to overcome the road conditions or the weather conditions you were sort of being active and in the way you were dealing with the situation whereas if you just stop and do nothing it kind of overwhelms you Um, whereas I think action at least you feel like you're doing something to address the problem. Yeah, so it sounds like a nice combination of kind of recovery and rest time mm-hmm. and then managing your energy, your physical, your emotional, your mental energy by, by taking that, getting on the bike, by moving forward. And yep. of course, for you, it was it was literally moving forward, literally. one pedal at a time. Yeah. And, and perhaps for, for executives, there's a, there's a parallel there, almost in a metaphorical sense that our energy can get stuck if we, if we stop moving. Um, and we don't we don't keep ourselves going through situations. Yeah, exactly. How did you get through some of the rougher moments of the journey? I mean, we had some pretty tough times in Western China, in particular. We had this, it's a massive desert, um, not a lot of towns, um, diff- very difficult to find accommodation. Um, there was literally a highway that ran through the desert, and we spent a lot of nights sleeping in in drains under the highway purely because. We wanted to be out of sight of the, of the traffic. You know, you didn't want to sort of pitch your tent right. next to the road. So under the road was the only place that was sort of vaguely hidden from, from the sight of the traffic. You know, howling wind, rats, you're in a drain. And um, this was sort of six months into the journey. Kind of like, what am I doing here sleeping in a drain in China? Like, is this worth it? It'd be very easy. We'd heard a lot of other cycle tourists had, had sort of taken a train through that part of China or a bus or... Um, but again, to come back to the the story of of the people who were supporting us, the children we were speaking to, we wanted to, we wanted to sort of give that message of of resilience, of of getting through those tough times rather than kind of taking the taking the easy road out without, as I said before, being reckless. Mm-hmm. It's only a tent and a drain. You're not there's no crocodiles, and you know it's you can endure the stuff, right? It just um, it's just a, a bit of mind over matter. 
go to sleep and eventually wake up and you're you're out of it. It's interesting how you can kind of get used to it, you know, by sort of a, after a month of that, you're kind of like, oh yeah, that drain looks nice. <laughs> that one looks nicer than that one. And and it's incredible how it gives you amazing perspective of appreciating now being able to go home and, and have a, a hot shower and a and a, um, a warm bed. And it's funny because the core of every day on the bike trip was find somewhere to sleep, find something to eat and don't get lost. And these are three things that in your daily life, you don't think about. You, you never think about it. You know where home is, you know where the supermarket is and you, yeah, you've got a warm bed to go to and a, and a hot shower. So it was really, really fascinating to have to go back to basics and just realize that you can survive without a hot shower and you can survive sleeping in a drain and that it then makes you so much more grateful for, for what you do have when you have those those comforts. I think it's it, what you're sharing is uh, a beautiful example of this ability to take different perspectives. And often one of the ways in which um, we as humans stay stuck is we get we get a little fixed in the way we look at things. Yeah. And um, this is this is pretty extreme, I have to say, uh, sleeping in a drain uh, with the rats around you, but nevertheless a, a really nice example of, of that perspective taking yeah and and it's funny we we had a saying it could be worse and so whenever something was awful I mean there was one day in in China again where the road just literally turned to mud it was like kind of knee deep and you're trying to push a 42 kilogram bike through this mud that was impossible to 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 ride we just kept saying it could be worse and we were kind of chatting like oh imagine if it was you know Imagine if it was snowing or imagine if our bike was 100 kilos or imagine this and imagine that. And it, it, you kind of, we tried to make light of the situation by always, whenever we had these rough moments saying, oh, at least it's not that. Which is funny how just that little change in mindset can can really make a, a massive difference. I'm grateful that you share that because a lot of the ways that we manage, we are able to manage our mindset is, of course, how we talk to ourselves and mm-hmm. how we talk out loud. So mm-hmm. language is really important in in terms of how we manage mindset and having that mantra, it could be worse. Absolutely. Um, it's yeah. both a, a, a perspective, but it's also a really nice example of focusing on the positive, which of course is another key component of, of resilience, to be able to focus mm-hmm. on the positive, even when the going gets tough. Definitely. And I mean, I don't want to sound like I we had it all sorted. No, we, it doesn't sound like we, it. <laughs> we were cry- I mean, I, there were several times crying and, you know, despair, moments of real darkness and, and just huge questioning about what we were doing. I remember calling a few friends being like, oh, this is terrible. And they're like, well, just stop. No one's forcing you to do this. If you, if it's that bad, pack your bike in a box and, and come home. And it's funny how them saying that to me kind of made me go, oh, you know, that's okay. I'll, you know, that to me, that sounded like kind of defeat, like giving in um, and, and, and was just enough to kind of snap me out of my my woe is me and tears and things and 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 to 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 kind of get back uh, get back on track because in the end no one was forcing it it's the whole th- the whole thing was our idea and really if it's your idea you can't really c- complain too much about the situation that you've put yourself in tell us uh, something about what it was like when you reached New Zealand and you were able to connect with the children that you wanted to see and how did that evolve so it was fantastic it was some of those the best memories of the trip. So with the New Zealand Olympic Committee arranged 40 different school visits um, throughout my my trip through New Zealand. And actually it, it kind of changed the dynamic a lot because 
these trips all had, these school visits all had to be planned. You know, you need to turn up at the school at eleven thirty and the next one at three thirty. So I had we'd just kind of been rolling through countries with not really much of an agenda. Um, in New Zealand, I was on my own. Um, so all of a sudden, it was I I still thoroughly enjoyed it, but it was very much a business journey mm-hmm. of, of of these school visits. It provided some some really nice structure and and was so rewarding because for me I could I grew up on a on a on a farm in South Island of New Zealand, middle of nowhere, a very small country school. So to be able to go into a, a school in New Zealand and sort of say, I grew up just like you, um, this is what I've done. Not again to say that they had to do something crazy like this, but just to sort of sow the seed that I was when I was their age, we were exactly the same. Um, whereas that didn't really fly in, you know, in the school in China or of course, a little bit, but the, there was a real connection that I could make. Um, um, these kids were like, "Oh, she's from New Zealand. We're from New Zealand. This is cool." And we didn't have that in the other in the other schools, so that was the real the real kind of richness of it. And I also had lots of family, friends, places to stay, people who rode with me. Yeah, it was it was an incredibly special thing. And also to to cycle on roads that I'd driven, I saw many parts of New Zealand I'd never been to, which was incredible. So I kind of felt like I could explore my own country, which was mm. also really nice. Fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to share? If there are sort of two or three key insights, you know, key mm-hmm. things that you can share that might be helpful for people in the business world or working in organizations? I mean, for me, as I said earlier, some of the, the key takeaways from the journey, the kindness of strangers absolutely blew us away, something that we never really thought about or expected until we were we were kind of in it. Uh, and in countries where you wouldn't have expected it was was something that I still think about now in my in my daily interaction with strangers is, you know, I need to pay it back, all these amazing people who who helped me out. And I think just through your daily life it's it's a nice sort of thought is, hey, maybe that person would like me to open the door or say hello or pass you a glass of water or just these tiny little things that you can do for people who you, you have no idea who they are can can make the world of world of difference. The other thing I, I think would be key would be to say if you if you have a kind of itch about an idea or a project is have a go like see where it goes talk to some like-minded people about it talk to some people who aren't like-minded about it right um, see if it will grow into into something that could take legs and, and gather a, a support team of people around you who believe in your project or your idea and also believe in you as the person um, driving behind it. Because as again, as I said earlier, having that that crew around us was was something we could never have, have done without. It was it was not just three women cycling across the world. It was it was a massive group of people and, and, and this is key, I think, to the success of any project um, is the community um, that you build around you. Yes, wise words, I think, to bring our conversation to uh, to an end. Um, the importance of strangers uh, and particularly the, the kindness of strangers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's implicit, I think, in what you've said is the need to ask for help mm-hmm. and something that many of us perhaps um, could do with a little bit of a nudge in that direction that actually if we ask for help, it's amazing how often it is provided and so many executives we see perhaps have a harder time asking for help but when when you ask there's an enormous um, benefit that comes your way. Yeah definitely and just looking around your team members and the people who surround you 
people who you may have thought they don't have anything to offer. Sometimes these people have, have amazing insights from a completely different perspective and different cultures and things. And I think it's it's just being open, uh, open-minded about what's going on around you and, and drawing on those resources to really take your project to the to the next level. Yeah. Well, thank you for the conversation. And thank you for joining us. This is a conversation with Rebecca Waddell, who has offered an inspiring story about not only having been an Olympic athlete, but also having had the audacious goal and dream to cycle from Lausanne to New Zealand, um, not only as a personal challenge, but as a way to inspire the next generation to look at role models, to see what they can take from inspiring stories to engender resilience and courage. So thank you. Thank you, Heather.